RadioInfluence.com Why, Crusher, it's good to see you. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10-12-60 with your questions, comments, or smart-ass remarks. everybody, welcome to Crush Performance, Jeff Rochelle here, the con man, up enjoying Jasper in January right now, Brandon Clax sits in, Brandon, thanks for joining us today, my good man. Yeah, I mean, I'm really glad to be here, I think Jasper would be also fantastic to be in right now, uh, especially considering the mountains are just so beautiful, lucky Connor. All the accolades that Jasper's been getting here, you know, being voted the number one ski town and Marmot Basin being the number one ski resort in North America here the last couple of years. The weather is great. The conditions are fantastic. And it's Jasper in January right up till February 2nd. Great deals. Like $40 off lift tickets. If you book them online, ladies and gentlemen, you can get $20 off at the booth. So many great events going on. They have uh, something going on called the uh, Music After Dark. Great live music around town. Comedy festivals. Just a bunch going on. So I hope Connor enjoys himself up there. Brandon, we'll start with you. If I were to ask you, what do you think is the greatest technology that's influenced sport here in recent history what would you say i would definitely say it's instant replay and i say that because i feel like in the past we didn't have the ability to slow it down to a t you have these plays that are all lightning speed right like quick plays and you look from baseball to hockey where we're talking about offsides that are like a foot is just over the line of baseball it's like just uh at the plate uh in the past you just kind of Trust the refs, trust the umps, you know, this is what it is. And now we have this technology where we literally, to the millisecond, decide huge plays and events and games. I think instant replay, for for my money, is the biggest technological advancement. Okay, great one. And I also see it uh, coming. You know what's happening in baseball, everybody. We're going to be talking about this more as spring training comes around. But um, the uh, robot umpires are coming. They're going to be using them this spring training. We're going to see what happens with that. So I, that's an interesting one. I went a different route. Again, the question of the day, what is the greatest technology that's influenced sport in recent history? I'm going to go with the Speedo Razor swimsuit in, in Rome in the FINA uh, World Championships in Rome leading up to the pre-Olympic qualifiers. Uh, basically, every single record in the pool was demolished uh, simply because of this suit. And what happened is FINA had to restrict the amount of body coverage that this suit um, would be allowed to have moving forward because it was just too much of a great advantage. And we're seeing technology push the push the limits of human performance forward. We are going to talk to our good friends down at United Sport and Cycle early on about, or later on today, about a new technology in hockey sticks. Just, you know, what can you do to a hockey stick to make it better? Well, they're going to tell us because Bauer's new Nexus Advantage has just come out. Perfect timing with the NHL All-Star Game. We're going to talk about this new technology and how it's going to influence the pros, but also potentially your game as well. Today on the show, we'll also be talking about the crush top athletes to watch. We're going to get into Zion Williams' return. He was our number one NBA player to watch this year. Unfortunately, that that preseason injury took him out, so he's back on the court. We're going to talk about that, and we have to talk about the Connor McDavid, whatever it takes um, documentary. We'll get into that. And have we found the fountain of youth? Well, 
Coming up after this first break, we'll be talking with Michelle Nesbitt of Orange Theory Fitness. She is the National Fitness Director for Orange Theory Fitness. And we're going to talk about the Fountain of Youth. It's been hiding in plain sight this whole time for everybody to take advantage of. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be a great, uh, a great conversation. Then later in the show, MLB Hall of Fame, Larry Walker. All of a sudden, Brennan, the things just make a little more sense to me now. Thank goodness that happened. I, I don't even know what to say. 10 years, last final ballot, and he makes it in with the second highest jump in voting um, in recent history. They finally got it right. I think that was kind of the the gist was uh, that Larry Walker, it's been, it's been too long. He should have been in the hall three, four years ago, five years ago. Uh, this is a guy who was MVP, a consistent gold glove winner. I, I didn't understand why he wasn't in already. What I'm really interested about with that vote was who didn't vote Derek Jeter in? <laughs> oh. Who didn't do that? How yeah. could you say no to Derek Jeter in the Hall of Fame? But that's a whole other debate. Yeah, we'll talk about that for sure. We'll be speaking with Greg Hamilton, the head coach and director of national teams for Baseball Canada. Larry Walker has been a big, big part of Baseball Canada since his career is over. He also had uh, great experiences as a young player through that system. Uh, we're going to talk about Larry Walker's impact on the game and what his induction means for an entire country. And of course, baseball being a winter country, a uh, few people know this, but it's a baseball powerhouse. We'll get to that later on. But let's talk about this. Let's get to it right now. Um, the crush top players to watch. And we do this at the start of every professional season. And there's so many different things we could look at. And it's not necessarily because we're fans of a particular team, more because we're intrigued by what could possibly happen. The Pelicans get the first overall draft in the NBA last year, and they pick Zion Williams, who they uh, coined as sort of the savior of the franchise. And then a preseason injury takes him out. We were so excited to watch him hit the NBA court. He makes his... NBA debut uh, this last week, and it actually turned out quite well. I was pretty happy about that, Brendan. What were your impressions? Well, when he first started, we were I was a little bit like, well, it's, it's kind of lackluster. He's trying to pass the ball a lot. He looks a little tentative, which you can expect from a guy that's his first game in the middle of the season. Everyone's already up to speed. He's still trying to get a uh, rhythm on the game. And then that fourth quarter comes and he hits four threes, puts in uh, what was the 17 unanswered points or what it was. It, it was an incredible sight to watch 22 points in 18 minutes. And uh, he's followed it up with maybe 15 points, but you know, 21 minutes, they're really trying to limit his workload. And that's the question that I was going to ask you and kind of talk to you before the show about is when you, we have a guy like Zion Williamson, very athletic guy, but he's huge. <laughs> he's a monster. And it's a matter of, is is this guy somebody who, with that kind of athleticism, is he going to not get hurt? Like, is he a guy that can can persistently play in the NBA at this weight level, the way he plays, the way he drives the net? Is it, like He kind of seems like a guy who's going to get a leg injury or a knee injury or something a well, lot. Well, that was one of the questions going into the draft as well. I mean, his talent is unquestionable. His ability, his move, his his physicality is is without question this guy is a monster he's huge he's Shaq-esque but he moves as well as any basketball player we've ever seen so does that make him more susceptible to injury that was one of the questions and that's one of the things we're going to watch and see because wouldn't it be great if this great young talent with this incredible skill set can actually dominate a game with his size and his skills and maintain his health. And that's going to be the key for everybody in that Pelicans organization. And that is probably without question, the number one reason we're watching Zion. Um, he could be a game changer. And, and the other big thing that I think really caught our attention here on crush performance was 
the fact that the Pelicans were so excited that this single player could turn around the entire franchise uh, moving into the future. And that's pretty exciting. So we'll watch with great interest, but I'm telling you right now, a pretty exciting start coming off an injury. I can understand him being a little cautious, but he's been doing uh, in his first two outings really, really well so far. I'll give you the crazy stats with him. Uh, if you go to the NBA's website and you look at the weights for everybody, uh, Zion Williamson's 284 pounds is tied for third heaviest in the NBA. Uh, but everybody around him is at least seven feet. So like Jokic, uh, Taco Fall, great story. Uh, Boban Marjanovic, yeah. uh, the Lopez brothers, they're all 280 plus, but they're all seven feet, seven, four in Boban's case and seven, five in Taco's case. Zion's six foot six. Right. And he's at that weight. That's to me quite crazy because no one is even close. The next guy is six, six. Uh, I, I can't even find him on the page. He's like, I think it's <laughs> he's it, not uh, the first hundred. <laughs> yeah. Golden State guy at 255 is Eric Paschal. Uh, so Williamson is like 35 more pounds than the next heaviest six foot six player. Yeah. If you can make that work that weight work for you. Oh, watch out. And of course, that's the key to everything. So we watch Zion with great interest. Another Crush, number one player to watch uh, this year at the start of the NHL season, of course, Connor McDavid, for reasons that we don't even have to talk about. Just how spectacular can this player potentially be? Well, of course, this last week, if you guys uh, haven't heard uh, the documentary, Whatever It Takes was uh, unveiled and it went in depth into the rehab and actually the amount of damage that was done in... um, his knee last year at the end of the last year, and it was the 82nd game of the NHL season last year. Connor McDavid goes down with a knee injury and we didn't think it was that bad based on, you know, what we'd heard through the media and what we heard from the team. Uh, but getting a look behind the scenes. Wow. It was worse. What an incredible story this is. And I think there's a lot to learn here, Brandon. We're going to talk more about this in days to come. We're going to get some of the people who are involved uh, on. When do you go to do a surgery? When do you try to do the rehab? A 22-year-old kid has to make that decision in 24 hours. And his knee was worse than any of us ever suspected. Um, They decided to go the rehab route. And boy, oh boy, did it ever work out. Thank goodness. Um, And of course, you know, Uh, Watching him in the all-star game here in the speed competition, he was dethroned this year, but I have no question uh, or no doubt that he will rebound and he still remains to be one of the fastest guys in the NHL. His speed time this year was 13.2 seconds. That's actually a better time than he had last year. Last year, I think he won with like a 13.5. He just barely beat uh, second place this year. He loses to Barzal, but... I mean, that's crazy. If you were, you got to watch the documentary because it's insane the amount of rehab and work he had to put in, the amount of time he'd be in like a hyperbaric chamber, just kind of like bending his knee. Like the, I'm watching from the couch and I'm going, yeah, like this, this kid is a year younger than me. We're, we're pretty both pretty young. And I'm just sitting here watching him and, and I feel tired watching him do all this stuff. I, I, he's an incredible human being. Uh, to get back for the first game of the year and then score the game winner in that game on a, a play where he had to have speed from the blue line on. It just, this guy should be winning the Bill Masterson this year easily. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. What an incredible story. And of course, that's why he's one of our top players to watch probably for now until he retires. And then we'll watch him after he retires just to see what he does there. But what an impact on the game. Okay, everybody, we got to get moving here. We got a big show coming up. After this break, the Fountain of Youth. It was sitting right before our eyes. 
and available for all of us to use. We're going to talk with Michelle Nesbitt of Orange Theory Fitness, the national fitness director right there. Uh, what can you do not only to enhance your sport performance, regardless of what level you're playing at, but how can you improve your health on a daily basis, especially with uh, all the questions we've been getting on the New Year's resolutions. This is going to be a very important conversation. And then later in the show, we'll be talking Hall of Fame and Larry Walker. So stick around, everybody. More Crush Performance coming right up after this. Hey, guys, question for you. How's your hairline doing? The reason I ask is because I have friends who are now shaving their head because most of their hair is gone or they're totally bald and they want that hair back. I have other friends, and I'm kind of one of them too right now, where the hairline is receding, bald spots are starting to form, and we want it to stop. In fact, two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35. The good news, with today's advancements in science, Keeps offers proven treatments that can combat the symptoms of hair loss and help you keep the hair you have at half the cost of your local pharmacy. Prevention is key, and the Keeps treatments really work. They're up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save, so act fast. Many men even experience hair regrowth with the Keeps treatments, and you don't have to go broke to avoid being bald. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. Some of them you may have tried before, but probably never for this price. Plus, Keeps now offers a prescription shampoo to keep your scalp healthy, too. Find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors, and nearly 100,000 men trust Keeps for their hair loss prevention medications. Keeps treatments start at just $10 a month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. That's one hell of a deal for getting to keep your hair. So, fellas, if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash crush to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash crush with a K and get your first month of treatment for free. Keeps offers easier access to hair loss treatment. Prescription medications delivered right to your home. Online doctor consultations. Go to keeps.com slash crush and get your first month for free. Save your salad, gentlemen. More crush performance coming right up. You're listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to Crush Performance. Jeff Grishel here, Brandon Clack. We are your weekly source for performance information. Listen, if you want to get in touch with us, reach out. Questions, comments, smart remarks, we love them all, and we answer every single message we get. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is the email. You can get me on Twitter, at Jeff Crush, and on our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and our cool new YouTube channel. Just search out Crush Performance, and you can uh, connect with us there. Um, a really big show today. Our question of the day, we'll be giving away two Marmot Basin passes coming up here, but the uh, question of the day is, what is the greatest technology that's influenced sport? And there's some great ones here. 10, 12, 60 is the text number. Uh, we're talking about carbon fiber. You know, we haven't talked about carbon fiber, but if you listen to the guys from United Sport um, and Cycle uh, over the break, this new Bauer hockey stick is pushing the limits. How could a hockey stick get any better? Well, there you go for sure. Um, Carbon fiber is a good one. You know, we look at things like um, the uh, greatest technology in streaming sports. This came in the technology streaming sports. So you can watch more games. That has totally changed the economy of sports. So that's a good one as well. I like Brendan talking about instant replay. I went with the Speedo Razor suit. It's totally redefined how the human operates inside the water. Uh, so keep them coming. 10, 12, 60. Well, listen. 
If I were to ask you a second question, what are the two most valuable commodities on the planet? What would you say? Well, here to talk about what I believe are possibly two of them is Michelle Michelle Nesbitt, the National Fitness Director for Orange Theory Fitness. Michelle, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jeff, for having me. Well, I'm going to uh, pose you our question of the day, uh, Michelle. Uh, what do you feel is the greatest technology that's influenced sport here in recent history? Do you have anything in mind? I think definitely heart rate monitoring devices for fitness routines is definitely at the top. Oh, the wearables. Oh, you've opened up a whole Pandora's box here. That's a good one because look at how analytics and uh, feedback and and, um, athlete monitoring has changed how not only we train athletes, but how we manage them even on a daily basis, right? Absolutely. I think people want to see that technology. They want the data. They want the instant results. Yeah. And that's not just for athletes. That's for everybody going to a local gym or the recreational athletes, uh, kids coming up. Um, it's kind of fun to track yourself, but also it gives you a, a good baseline um, how you're doing day to day. So I, I think this is a really, really important change. That's a really good one, Michelle. Absolutely. I wear one every day. <laughs> Yeah, and so do a lot of our athletes. I know there's a lot of um, stigma now in professional sports and how the wearable technology and the information they're gaining is being used. But that being said, um, that kind of feedback, we've never had access to that before. Well, Michelle, you know, we're sort of well into the month of January. We've had a lot of emails revolving around New Year's resolutions and achieving goals. But we know that weight loss and fitness are two of the biggest ones out there. And in my humble opinion, the two most precious commodities on the planet right now are your personal health and time and for people to fit their health into their schedules seems to be a bit of a challenge nowadays absolutely i think it's i think the consumer now is realizing they have to take their health into their own hands and it's a matter of making it a priority and scheduling it. To me, scheduling makes people accountable, no different than scheduling a doctor's appointment, dentist. You know you have to go. You may not want to, but you know you need to. And I think that is kind of the approach you have to take with looking after your health and incorporating fitness. Yeah, and you know, I I really like this, Michelle, because it's an important conversation. We have it with our athletes uh, on a daily basis, but in, in our programs, we sort of have a hierarchy in terms of the priorities for development. Sleep, rest, and recovery are one. Nutrition, hydration are two. Then we get them functioning properly and then we really start working on our goals and objectives in terms of physical training um, and I think a lot of people might be intimidated by that I really I'm not gonna lie to you uh, I really really appreciate the orange theory approach to this but more importantly I like how deep you guys go into trying to understand how you can help people get healthier um, and you guys did what I think is a very very important study here not too long ago maybe you can fill us in uh, about on on sort of the I guess the, the reasoning you guys did that study and some of the cool findings that you guys had. Well, we know that our members want results and they want to be able to track them. So we obviously have to have great uh, technology so people can do that. So people want to see the results and they're going to keep coming back if they, first of all, get those results and that the workout that they're doing is safe and effective. So our workouts are coach-led. Oh, we have a medical advisory board that goes through our workouts to make sure that they are safe and effective. They're tested. So we're ensuring that what we're bringing to the consumer is what they want, and they get that by the science behind the workout, being coach-led, and our technology behind our brand. 
Yeah, and I really like it. And, you know, one of the things we know about diets, diets flat out just don't work. They don't work. It has to fit into the daily, uh, I guess, schedule of life. It has to be attainable. It has to be practical, but it has to work within the person's schedule. It's no different than managing our professional athletes. For a person who is working a nine to five job, has three kids, and is still trying to take care of their health, that's not an easy task. So finding a program that works for you is sometimes one of the biggest challenges but once you find it boy there's magic that can happen absolutely and i think everybody is going to look for something different i guess my opinion is when you walk in and you find something that works you stick with it if you're motivated to go and you see those results then that's where you should be and that may change over time based on where you are whether you're achieving a new milestone or a new goal or something new in life but I think you've got to find what works for you, and that is individual. Yeah, we're talking with Michelle Nesbitt, the National Fitness Director for Orange Theory Fitness. Uh, you guys did a fantastic study looking at the correlation of boosting mood through exercise and helping ditch those seasonal doldrums, which right now I think we just passed what everybody's coined the most depressing day <laughs> of the year. You know, coming off the holidays, we're deep into wintertime, it's cold, it's dark, and exercise can have a massive impact on that. In the study that you guys did, 61% of Canadians said the emotional improvements are what kept them into their fitness routines. I thought that's very interesting. There is definitely a correlation between uh, the physical activity and your mental well-being. That is for sure. And that's why I can't say enough about finding fitness, especially like last week, minus 51. You know what? Chase with those blues. Keep active. It is good for your mind and your body. Yeah, and you know, we talk about this with our athletes as well, and you can ask any runner that's experienced that that runner's high or the athletes who go to the weight room and experience the joy of effort. There's a lot more to exercising and following a program than just getting those physical results, right? Absolutely. Those endorphins, that's what you need. That is going to make you feel better all and better life all, all day, all night. It just makes you feel overall a better and healthier person. Yeah, I think, wouldn't it be great if, you know, we, we tell our athletes, you know you're in a good spot when you don't feel right when you miss your work, when you miss your work. And it doesn't mean you have to work 100% every day. Sometimes that means just going out and doing something a little bit. But when you don't do your work, you don't feel right. And I think when, when you get to a point where that happens, you're in a good spot. Absolutely. You know, that little bit of guilt is maybe good because it keeps you, <laughs> keeps you accountable, right? Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, for the, you know, for, for the people who are trying to track down and chase down their, their New Year's resolutions, we've had, I can't even tell you how many emails about weight loss, about getting stronger or running a personal best or starting, uh, um, um, starting uh, training for a marathon, all these great goals that people have. And sometimes it's pretty tricky to figure out where to start. And finding a good coach, um, I think for a lot of times, is is the first step. And finding that coach can sometimes be pretty challenging. Absolutely. I think, you know, everybody will look for something different in a coach. Um, obviously, in my opinion, you, you should know their background, their experience, their education. But more than anything, do they walk the talk? Um, you've got to be able to connect them and I guess passion, the passion, the personality needs to be coming out of them as well as being empathetic and compassionate. Yeah. You know, when I was working with the Blue Jays at the big league level, it was one thing I I really prided myself in knowing my stuff when it came to physiology and adaptive physiology and, and, you know, keeping the guys in tune and helping every player get better. That was one part of it. But the biggest challenge for me, I found after my first, you know, year of being in the big leagues was keeping guys motivated and more importantly, keeping it fun because it can be a grind out there. 
absolutely. You may not exactly like what you're doing, but I guess when you walk out from whatever you're doing, if you feel better than when you walked in, I think that's a win-win. And sometimes it's a pack mentality, right? There's a group think. When you get involved with a group of people who have similar goals or are out there in the trenches busting it out with you, that's sometimes one of the most critical uh, connectors in, in chasing down your dream. Definitely. Community and culture is something that exhibits definitely in our studios. You know, you know who's there, you know who's missing. And those little milestones, whether big or small, um, it's celebrated together. And I think that's a big part of the community we have in our studios. Yeah. So, hey, let's say if somebody came into Orange Theory, Michelle, um, what, 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 what would happen? Do you guys um, do you guys assess them? Do you look at their goals? And, and how, how do you guys go about helping people understand, maybe set, and even then go about achieving their goals? Absolutely. So what happens is we, pre, we have our first-time guests come in a half hour early, and they sit down, and they go through what their goals are. What are they trying to achieve? What is realistic on a time frame that they want to work out, and um, what do they want to spend? And then based on that data, they are given an orientation with a coach. So the coach is really the person that's going to lead and direct them to where they need to go, how often they should be working out to help them achieve those goals. They explain the workout. They explain the technology, which is key, because we're basically connecting the technology to the person so they have those instant results. Because like I say, the consumers, consumers expect more now. They're paying prime dollars for some of these workouts, and they want results. So the coach is really the one that's going to get them to understand what they're doing, how they should do it, how they should be training and how they should feel during the workout and post-workout, and then how to analyze the results that they receive post-workout and what that's going to do for them. I really like it. Well, we know that Orange Theory is taking off like wildfire. You guys are expanding here in Canada as well in the U.S. If people want more information, Michelle, where can they go to uh, maybe get involved with you guys? Uh, absolutely, www.orangetheoryfitness.com, and you can find any of our studios in Edmonton on our Facebook page. Great stuff, Michelle. Really appreciate you and everything you guys are doing for the community out there. Thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate it. Great. All right, there's Michelle Nesbitt, the National Fitness Director for Orange Theory Fitness. You know, it's interesting because uh, you have to find a starting point. And it doesn't matter, Brendan, whether you're trying to knock out your New Year's resolution or if you're trying to get your uh, first college scholarship or to extend your pro contract. The principles are are eerily the same. Yeah. And especially when it comes to like I, I know for my fitness, I like to kind of set myself a small goal and then work at it. But like something reachable to start. Yep. But everyone kind of has their own plan, their own way to 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 achieve what they need to do. Um Personally, for me, like like a place I like I like a place like Orange Theory is nice because it's pretty personable gym. Like I, we have one in St. Albert, yep, and it's it's pretty great to have like a like a smaller area, but a place that's always like has plenty of equipment. It's always well stocked. Yeah, a little more individual too, but there's lots of options out there. I guess the key is to understand your goal. Uh, go check out and interview these people. Like Michelle said, interview your coaches. Make sure there's a connection there, but find an environment that one, is convenient and two, that's going to work for you. It's no different than what we say to our athletes when they're getting ready to uh, uh, prepare for the off season or for their next contract or to get into pro sports. So great stuff. And of course, you guys understand the power of exercise. You know, there there's healthy weight. You don't have to be um, so, so focused on your weight. You have to be healthy first and foremost, and then everything else gets easier. And uh, if there were a 
fountain of youth to be found, it is in daily, regular, consistent exercise. Whether that is going for a brisk walk, whether it's two to three times a week, you have to nail it down to what's realistic for you, where you are right now, and where you want to go. Great stuff from Michelle. Well, let's skip uh, to the next topic here and, and get ready for the MLB Hall of Fame. Again, as I mentioned, things make a little more sense to me right now that Larry Walker is an inducted with Jeter. Uh, we'll get to that right after this on Crush Performance. Stick around, everybody. We'll be right back. You're listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to Crush Performance. Jeff Grishel here, Brandon Clack. We are your weekly source for performance information. Reach out, crushperformance.com is the website. Follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Crush. So we got to get to this right away. Uh, I don't want to run out of time because this is actually a very important conversation for me. You know, we're always watching the top performers in sport, and uh, there is nothing quite like Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame. I think it's the most prestigious of the Hall of Fames. And this last week, Derek Jeter got in, uh, missing the unanimous vote by just one vote. That's a conversation unto itself. But on his last ballot, Larry Walker, uh, one of the probably most recent true five-tool players, gets in on his final year in the ballot. And uh, I wanted to talk to Greg Hamilton, the head coach and director of National Teams for Baseball Canada, about Larry's impact on the game here in Canada, but also what it means to have the second Canadian go into the Hall of Fame. Greg, thanks for joining us today. Uh, my pleasure, Crush. Well, very timely because just earlier this week, the world seemed to make a little more sense for a short time as Larry Walker was inducted into the Hall of Fame, the second Canadian. What a big, big moment for Canadian baseball. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, hugely impactful. We're really happy, uh, the collective we, obviously, all of us in the country that uh, they care and love about baseball and share the passion and enthusiasm around the sport. Uh, you know, just elated. Um, you know, uh, very well deserved certainly from our opinions and you know he's a special special talent and you know when you get to know him on a personal level he's a really really special person so it's nice that uh, you know you say in the world when the talent lines up with the person and certainly in Walk's case it does so uh, tremendous honor and everybody's uh, just thrilled for him yeah you know and he was sort of um, um he was a groundbreaker in terms of Canadian baseball so to speak I mean he was one of the early you know impact players coming out of Canada many many have followed suit how important do you think that was for where Canadian baseball is at this point in time I think tremendously. I mean, uh, youth follow stars and they follow, you know, um, impactful um, players at the highest level of, of respective sports. So when you have star power that transcends the game and, and uh, is, is, is that at the highest levels of the sport that, um, you know, you're thinking of playing and it's, uh, you know, it, it draws youth, it draws the next generation, it uh, captivates the next generation because the, of the visibility and, and the accomplishments and the level of the accomplishments, the star power certainly does. You know, it attracts kids, it attracts interest, and it grows the game. Yeah, most certainly. Most of my interaction with Baseball Canada has been on the junior national side. And over the years, I've tried to help with as much as I possibly can. I absolutely, Greg Hamilton, love that junior national program. What a great, great stepping stone for young players here in Canada. Um, and those are players that have decided to dedicate themselves to the game and to see somebody in front of them 
system, not just impacting the game at the highest level, but now entering the Hall of Fame. Wow, what a pathway to chase down. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a, it is a rare few, right? And obviously, uh, it completes a little bit of a circle or you know, a big circle in Canada in that we've had a Canadian pitcher uh, enshrined, and now we have Canada's greatest position player enshrined. So, I mean, pitchers, young pitchers and, and young position players can realistically aspire to uh, you know, follow in the footsteps of two of the greatest players that were put in uniforms uh, that are Canadian and and. Um, you know, it's uh, it's tremendous and, and well-deserved on Larry's part. Yeah, we're joined now by uh, Greg Hamilton, the head coach and director of national teams for Baseball Canada on the aftermath of the induction into the Hall of Fame of Canadian great Larry Walker. Well, we talk about the number of players who have uh, come north of, or from north of the border. Uh, about 250 Canadians have played in Major League Baseball. That's a pretty hefty number for our small population. And when you break that down and look at the actual number of people who play baseball, Canada's a baseball powerhouse, Greg. Um, yeah, more and more. I mean, uh, I think, um, you know, programming has evolved. I think, obviously, you know, the trailblazing effect of, again, the Larry Walkers and, and uh, you know, players of that nature. And it's generational now, right? You, you pass the torch on to Justin Morneau and Joey Votto and, you know, James Pax and Russell Martin. I mean, it's a critical mass of players. And you touched on it earlier when Larry was doing it. There was a smaller number in his precursor. You know, you get into the Terry Pools, tremendous player. and But, I mean, you were, you know, they were kind of um, not uh, – uh, you know, large in numbers. They were impactful, but not large in numbers. And I think as the critical mass of talent uh, expands and as more and more players go on scholarships south of the border and, and in Canada as well with Canada's programs like UBC and the Prairie Baseball Academy and, and uh, you know, the programs that are up here now as well uh, to keep Canadians playing after high school and, and giving them opportunity to do so in, in good environments. I think it just, you know, it leads to more and more players getting opportunities and more and more players getting exposure and, and uh, it drives it all the way down through the system such that uh, the programming has expanded and exposures expanded and you're seeing more and more players and the results of that. Yeah, and it's so great and, and you mentioned, you know, being able to play beyond high school. I remember at 15 years of age, in my second year of midget baseball in my small town where I grew up, we were baseball fanatics. I mean, it was great, but we were back in the day where we were playing, you know, we were playing basketball and volleyball and hockey in the winter time, and we were curling with our parents and doing all these crazy things, uh, but when baseball season came around, we locked in. I remember in my second year of midget, when I I was 15 years of age. Um, the local um, sporting organizations, the sporting council, started a summer ball hockey league, and we didn't have enough players to field a midget uh, baseball team. So I wound up playing um, ball hockey that year and then going straight to the men's league because there was no options. I didn't know about national teams. I didn't know about college scholarships. Greg, there are so many opportunities for young players today. A really exciting time for the game. Very much so. I mean, our younger program, the junior program, I mean, we've kind of looked at it and looked at it well over a you know, decade and a half ago to say, hey, how are we going to, how are we going to, you know, attract the country's um, most competitive athletic young players, uh, young high school players, and give them an outlet to grow their talents and to develop and potentially move forward in the game beyond high school as collegiate players or at one point in time or eventually, hopefully, as professional players for a percentage of, of, of talent that would, would have 
people would merit that. But uh, you know, you need to give them the environment, right? You need to give them the coaching. You need to put them in an environment where they can they can grow and mature. And you need to put them competitively in an environment where they're you know capable of catching up to the speed of the game, which obviously when they first start is is beyond where they've come from. And if you get uh, talented players that are young and you get them into that type of environment early, they they, they tend to catch up and and you give them the uh, the opportunity to to realize their abilities and, and move forward. So it's uh, you know it's been something that uh, at the junior level we've really really focused on, and you know we're trying to get and continually trying to get the top 15 to 18 year old kids uh, as early as we can get them and and uh, get them into those environments. And and there's more and more programs doing so in parallel and, and greater opportunities for kids nowadays to you know to play in really really good environments uh, with good coaching, good instruction, and good competitive opportunities. Well, and you talk about the competitive opportunities. Where else can a young player step in and get to face success or not um, professional players? I mean, that is such a great, great um, reference point for not just understanding where you are at as a player, but also the fact that, hey, I'm not far away from actually being able to really, really compete in, at, the, at the next level. It's such a great environment. Yeah, it gives you a barometer. It uh, gives you a sense of, um, you know, just how difficult it can be. It gives you the opportunity to experience adversity and overcome adversity, which we all face and all players will in the development curve. And, and it gives you a, a standard, you know, and, and with our younger program, we play pretty much a professional schedule. So these kids, you know, if they start at 16 years old, they played well over 100 games by the time they're graduating high school against professional players. And, you know, I think, again, you know, the only thing that changes is really the speed of the game, the speed at which things happen, you know, the speed at which the ball is thrown, the speed at which the ball is hit, the speed at which, you know, players run and, and um, you know, the efficiency of execution that you need to be able to, to compete uh, against better players at that level. And, and uh, if you're in the environment and the game speeds up, eventually, uh, you know, eventually you're able to slow down with the game and, and it doesn't seem so overwhelming. So, again, exposing them to that environment and at an earlier age or younger age and, and uh, nurturing the development is really important. And, and uh, we're seeing more and more kids, you know, move on as a result of it, which is great. We're joined by Greg Hamilton, the head coach and director of national teams for Baseball Canada. Greg, I remember, um, and this I've never talked to you about this, but I'll, I'll uh, let you know now. Um, I remember at one sort of elite baseball program, uh, you were there visiting one day, just watching the boys uh, play and do their thing. And afterwards, you gave them a talk about the junior national teams and the national programs. And this has stuck with me for as many years ago as that was, I think five or six years ago, where you were talking to them about the many different ways they can contribute or chase down their dreams because players aren't always ready at the same time. Maybe you're not quite ready at the junior national window. There's, there will be other windows of opportunity. And you mentioned a number of uh, major league players who, who weren't drafted and didn't play on the national teams. And, and I think that was a really strong message. And that has stuck with me since you, since you gave that talk to the guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, uh, players come at, at different paces. Certainly high school players, the development curve is not the same for any one particular player relative to another. So, um, again, some are ready uh, to be drafted uh, out of high school. Some are not quite ready to be drafted out of high school. Uh, some are ready to be drafted out of college. Some aren't. Some sign as free agents and, and, and move forward and get opportunities that way. And, and, you know, kids, again, some are ready to play in the junior national team as an example at high school. And some aren't quite ready in terms of where they are developmentally. And they move on to college, junior college, and four-year schools, and eventually 
come back through the backside, get drafted, and, and in many cases come back and play in our Olympic program and excel. So, um, you know, there's examples of guys that, uh, you know, that weren't drafted out of high school that played in the major leagues. There's examples of guys that, uh, you know, that uh, didn't play in the junior national team that, that went on and played in the big leagues and, you know, some pretty good players. So it's, uh, again, uh, you know, you, you want to play because you love the game. You want to play because um, you're passionate about the game. And if you can continue to wear a uniform after high school, you never know where it can take it because, again, 18 is still pretty young and, you know, players are still developing physically. They're certainly maturing mentally. And, um, you know, the sport of baseball is, it, it's it's not a, uh, you know, it's certainly um, not a sprint. It's a marathon and you got to stay with the process and, and believe in yourself. And, you know, again, if they can continue to play after high school and you never know where that's going to take you. Yeah, no question. I've often said it is a long game. There's no question about that. And speaking of that long game, um, you mentioned it earlier, but I, I really do like this um, sort of pathway now that's more and more readily available and maybe even uh, more profiled, the college route with the addition of the programs in Canada, which is expanding the collegiate programs in Canada, which is fantastic for kids north of the border, but certainly the access to um, scholarships in the United States is, is such a great, great pathway. The international game, the independent game, and of course things like the Olympics. You talked about being able to contribute to the national team in many different ways or the national team program. Um, what does the Olympics mean to baseball from your perspective, Greg, I'm so happy to see them back. It's unfortunate they're not going to be in France, but they'll be back in L.A. after that. But uh, I think this is a real big, big uh, push for baseball. Yeah, I mean, the Olympics, uh, they resonate. Uh, that word resonates everywhere. It resonates with athletes at the highest level. It rep- you know, resonates in corporate boardrooms from a sponsorship perspective at the highest level. It, you know, it kind of touches a, a nationalistic chord uh, for team sports, individual sports. It's, um, you know, it's the Olympics. Where else do you walk out in an opening ceremonies and, you know, 4.2 billion people are watching it live. You know, I mean, where else do you get to mix and, and mingle with the greatest athletes in the world, not just in your respective sport but uh, in, in read across sports and, and share a common vision and goal and be part of a, a country's team so that I mean the Olympics are incredibly special I think regardless of what players have done at their careers whether they've won World Series in the sport of baseball or whether they've won MVPs or any things of that nature I mean if you ask them and you mention the Olympics um, you know everybody perks up everybody's interested in participating would love to do it and uh, it certainly lives up to, to what its perception is when uh, when you have the opportunity to go we've gone twice when no Four and um, you know in the in the, in the immediate uh, uh, past we went no four went no eight and and um, you know hopefully we're going to get back there again uh, in 2020 but uh, it's uh, it's a tremendous tremendous uh, event and tremendous experience for those that uh, are fortunate enough to uh, to experience it. Yeah, no question. And um, I've seen Larry Walker in the dugout with the national team a number of times, so he's still contributing to the game here in Canada in a very big way. Yeah, we're really fortunate. I mean, Larry kind of leads that uh, group of alumni that come back and, and contribute to our junior national program and our senior national program as coaches. And, you know, we're getting, uh, you know, major league all-stars and accomplished major league players coming back and giving their time to the next generation into the programs, both our senior and junior programs as coaches. And, you know, Larry's been just tremendous. And I think one of the biggest things that uh, we all appreciate and, and the players uh, and, and, and his peers as coaches, uh, once you get to know Larry, you realize 
realize that uh, he truly is in it for the right reasons. He truly cares about the game and the country. He cares about kids and people and and uh, the next generation of players. And he's very, very Canadian and very patriotic. And and you know, wearing Canada across the jersey really matters to him. And and uh, we're very fortunate because um, you know when the, the talent lines up with the person, which it does in Walk's case, it's uh, it's really, really impactful for for your program when you can have people like that involved. And we're very fortunate and uh, think the world of him and and uh, hopefully uh, we'll get him uh, you know back to or get him to an Olympic Games one of these times I think we may have a bit of a conflict this summer if we go because I think there's a, a reasonably important day on the 26th of <laughs> July that might conflict a bit but, I think uh, so right <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll cross that path when we get there yeah great and you couldn't have said it better you know when we when we broke down and looked at um, the Hall of Fame's rules that's that for voting uh it reads like this uh the the vote shall be based upon a player's record playing ability integrity sportsmanship character and contributions to the teams on which the player played and larry walker certainly has checked all those boxes and much more greg hamilton listen thank you so much it's been much too long since we talked appreciate your time today and such a great time for uh baseball in canada thanks crush appreciate it as always take care my friend all right, everybody, there you go, Greg Hamilton. Fantastic conversation. Congratulations to Larry Walker and Jeter as well. We'll be talking about this uh, moving forward, uh, but uh, fantastic conversation. And isn't it interesting how one player can potentially impact an entire country? Well, that's what Larry Walker just did by getting into the Hall of Fame. So uh, I want to thank Greg Hamilton for coming on. I also have to thank Michelle Nesbitt, the National Fitness Director for Orange Theory, coming on, talking about the importance of exercise, setting your goals, finding your starting point, and then finding a program that works for you. Exercise is so important. It's got to be consistent. It's kind of like brushing your teeth. Brushing your teeth once a week isn't going to get the job done. You have to be consistent every day. Exercise is much the same. It could be a little and uh, it can be progressive, but you've got to get it done. We're talking about health, wellness, mood, and also performance for all of our athletes. Hey, listen, guys, coming up next week, the Crush War on Sugar continues. We'll be talking with the Performance Nutrition Director uh, for the Oakland Raiders about how they're feeding their professional athletes. We're also going to talk to them about how they look at the macronutrients, the electrolytes, and we're certainly going to talk to them about their awareness on sugar. That's coming up next week. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Thank Brandon for helping us out today, and we'll talk to you next time on Crush Performance. Goodbye now. Don't forget to ride. This is a Sitting Ringside with David Penzer Quick Fix on Radio Influence. This week on City Ringside, we welcome New Japan Pro Wrestling star Lance Archer. Going to talk to him about breaking in in the Dallas, Texas Indies, working for TNA, working for World Wrestling Entertainment. What finally made him a breakout star in New Japan Pro Wrestling, his tag team as the Killer Elite Squad with Harry Smith. Also, the differences between working a WrestleMania and working a Wrestle Kingdom show in the Tokyo Dome. And we're going to ask him the million-dollar question, are you going to All Elite Wrestling? That's this week on City Ringside, Lance Archer. Archer, be sure to subscribe, be sure to tell your friends and neighbors, and leave a review if you can. Sitting Ringside with David Penzer can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.